0: Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We
1: hope you enjoy. We have two scripture lessons, both coming from the Gospel of Luke, and so I invite you, if you have your own Bibles or your uh, mobile device, pull up Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Hear this first passage. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Our next passage of scripture today comes to us from, again, in Luke, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and passing through it, a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give it to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
0: Thank you, Pastor Adam. I made him do double duty today, picking out two scripture verses. Uh, My name is Brad Inman, and I'm the Associate Pastor of Youth and Congregational Life here at Orange. And it's so good to see you all this morning and those of you tuning in online to join us. Um, A few years ago... uh, We talked about having a possible budget crunch here at the church. The finance committee had asked uh, the different people to carefully look at their budget proposals for the next year and see what, if necessary, uh, what might need to be cut. So I looked and I considered, and it became pretty clear to me the thing that I would cut if it was needed, and that was going to be our winter retreat for the youth. For a winter retreat, our youth go off on a long weekend to Lake Junaluska for skiing. Uh, Lake Junaluska brings in a guest speaker and a worship band, and it's usually a really great time. But the fact remained that skiing is kind of expensive, and it was our least Jesus-y trip that we go on. For the whole weekend, it's really just maybe four hours of worship and study and discussion. And the rest of the time is, well, skiing and joking and eating and hanging out and just being together. Luckily, we did not have to make those budget cuts, so a few months later we went on our winter retreat and it was a wonderful time. But the entire time that we were there, I just couldn't stop asking myself, is this worth it? And I wasn't really sure that it was. Fast forward two months and it was Youth Sunday. And at the Pathways service, this service, one of our seniors uh, stepped up on the stage and he started to share his testimony. And he shared how over the past year he had had a lot of struggles with his mental health. But one of the things that had helped him through it, that had encouraged him and strengthened him one of the, the most, one of the things that had helped him see God's presence throughout this tough situation that he was going through was the love and care of a friend. A friend that had blossomed during the winter retreat as they roomed together. That student is now in seminary. Uh, So that was, you know, just one example. But then at Traditions, we had another student come up and share his testimony. And he talked about how he had been coming to youth group for a while, but he just hadn't really connected with the people yet. He still kind of felt like an outsider. And then what happened? The winter retreat. And he had, over that long weekend, bonded with that student and over the next few years, he became one of our really core student leaders and continues to be a spiritual leader in his different communities. Two students' lives were changed forever on a trip that I didn't think was Jesus-y enough. Today, we continue our sermon series on Ships of Faith by talking about fellowship. And I think fellowship has kind of a bad reputation. It's just kind of the fluffy stuff, the extra. It's the superficial. It's not serious. It can't really matter. It's the fun stuff that we'll get to if we have time after we're done doing the serious things. Well, I hate to break it to you, but as you saw from our scripture today, Jesus changed lives with fellowship. It wasn't the Sermon on the Mount that drew Matthew to him. It wasn't a miracle that changed the life of Zacchaeus. It was Jesus going to a house for a meal. It was a pretty awesome party. <laughs> the Pharisees kind of thought the same thing. They thought, how could this guy, this guy, this glutton eating with sinners, he could not possibly be the Messiah? Surely not. The Messiah would never. Well, he did. Uh, and fellowship changed the lives of those two people. We see it here and we see it all throughout Scripture. Going all the way back to Genesis, we see that God creates man and sees that man is not made to be alone and creates a partner to be with and spend time with. In Acts 2, the early churches describe the life of the early church and they break bread together and they basically do everything together. And people are drawn to them naturally, not because of their amazing sermons, but because of the community that is formed when people are united by the love of Jesus. In Acts 16, Paul is talking to a group of women and a woman named Lydia overhears and her heart responds to the gospel and she gets it right away and she says, Paul, you got to come to my house. Come hang out. She knows that she's heard the gospel and it's good and she believes it, but she says, I want more. I need to spend time with this Paul guy. And speaking of Paul, Paul has a lot to say about fellowship. He has a lot to say about fellowship gone wrong. And he is not afraid to tell people when their fellowship has gone wrong. In Galatians 2, he goes at Peter. Uh, Peter has been spending time with some of the Gentiles, some of the non-Jews, and sharing the gospel with them. And in doing so, he's been eating with them. He's been speaking with them. He's been building these relationships and then some Pharisee-esque Jews come to Galatia and all of a sudden Peter stops eating with the Gentiles who he is building these relationships with. He has done some anti-fellowship. How, do you, how much damage do you think that did to the faith of the Gentiles to have Peter eating with them and building those relationships and all of a sudden His old buddies show up and he turns his back on them and stops spending time with them. And then again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul spends really most of the letter chastising that church about the ways that they were fellowshipping and how they were creating tension and division and discrimination with their fellowship instead of love, unity, and peace. The power of fellowship, both positive and negative, is exemplified all throughout Scripture. In case you haven't noticed it yet, yes, this is a subject that I am very passionate about, and I was very excited to talk about fellowship today. It's probably my favorite ship um, because I think it just matters so much. It's so simple, but it is so significant. Fellowship is spending time with one another without an agenda but for an incredible purpose. And it really is just that easy. It really is just spending time with one another. It doesn't have to be Bible study. It doesn't have to be about service. It can just be about being with one another because shared experiences build relationships. And it's relationships that change lives. Back when I was in seminary, uh, for my degree, I needed to be involved in ministry with a church. And so I found a small little church with an amazing youth pastor, and I was really excited to get involved. I started going to their Sunday night youth group every week and started to get to know the kids a little bit. And then I started to co-lead a Bible study for the middle school boys with the youth pastor on weekdays, and I really enjoyed that too. I did it for about a year, and I still really felt like an outsider. I had been there for a year, and I was still the new guy, and I could just tell that the students didn't really trust me yet. There wasn't that connection. Everything just seemed kind of superficial until I went on, funnily enough, their winter retreat, (laughs) which was less than 48 hours their winter retreat. And I promise you the connections that I made on that short, tiny, little retreat were worth more than a year's worth of youth groups. And it was because of the little stuff. It was because of the in-between. It was the bus ride and playing card games. It was killing time before the next session. It was making faces during the next session when we were supposed to be paying attention. It was seeing who could eat the most pancakes drenched in syrup. And, of course, it was about fart jokes in the boys' bunk as we were supposed to be sleeping. It was the little things. It was the in-between stuff, the stuff that, you know, doesn't matter. It was that that allowed me to truly start connecting with the students. And that connection led to trust, and that trust led to deeper conversations, and that led to more vulnerability, and it allowed for accountability. That fellowship leads to relationship, and relationship is the stuff that changes lives. I want you guys to do me a little bit of a favor. We're going to do a little exercise here, and forgive me, but I totally forget who taught me this exercise. I've been doing it for so long. So if you're listening, um, thank you. Um, <laughs> but I want you all to, I know it's weird, but I want you to close your eyes. If you're at home, close your eyes. And I want you to try to think of the three most important sermons that you have ever heard. I want you to think about the three Sermons who have, that have influenced your faith the most. All right, now I want you to think of three life experiences, three events that have impacted your faith the most. Maybe it was a youth trip when you were younger. Maybe it was a difficult life experience, but an event, three of them, that impacted your faith the most. All right, now if you've got those, I, now I want you to think of the three people who have impacted your life the most. Three people who have built up your faith. All right, you can open your eyes. Now, if you are like most people who I've done this exercise with, it was probably a little difficult to think of three sermons from your life that have changed you the most. Any of you guys have trouble thinking of three? Yeah, maybe you remembered like little tidbits of this one and that one. um, But three whole sermons, whew, I have a hard time with that one. And then I'm guessing events were a little bit easier to think of. And then for me, it's hard to narrow it down to just three people. I think of 10 people off the bat who have shaped me and helped me become the person I am who have formed my relationship with God. It's the people who change us. It's not that sermons aren't important. I wouldn't be standing here and doing this if I didn't think that they were important, but it's relationships that give experiences juice. It is relationships that allow the words of the sermons and the messages to matter. I'm sorry, but if I don't trust you, your words aren't going to matter to me all that much. And if you try to hold me accountable, but I don't really believe that you care about me and want what's best for me, I'm probably not going to let you hold me accountable. And if I can't be myself around you, I'm not going to allow you to be around me when I need you the most. Fellowship matters because it is the foundation on which relationships are built, and relationships change lives. So hopefully by now I've convinced you that fellowship matters, that it is the basis of relationships and those things change lives. If I have not yet, I have 37 more examples that I could not fit into my final draft of my sermon. Come and see me later. I got lots of stories. But recognizing the importance of fellowship is not enough. We must act on it. We must ask ourselves some difficult questions about our fellowship. And the first one is, are you fellowshipping? Are you spending time with people without an agenda just to enjoy their company and experience life and make shared experiences? Are you having meals and laughing and just being with one another? I am an introvert with some social anxiety coming out of a pandemic, so I understand those of you who have trouble stepping out and taking those steps. But fellowship is just too important not to do it. We have to build those relationships so that we can be shaped by one another. Second is, who are you fellowshipping with? Are you spending time with people who push you closer to God or pull you further away? When you leave your time with your people Does your heart feel full and light and warm? Do the people around you treat you with care and respect and dignity and love that God has for you? Are they little reminders of the love that your heavenly Father has for you? And finally, since scripture tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens one another, how are you sharpening those who you're spending time with? How is your fellowship with others forming them? Are you pushing them closer to God? Are you forming them into being more loving, patient, and peaceful people? If not, Paul might write you a letter. (laughs) Fellowship is not the fluff, it is not the extra stuff we will just get to if we have time. Fun is not empty calories. Fellowship forms relationships, and relationships change lives. So spend time with one another. Laugh, eat, make fart jokes, I don't know, whatever works for you. Don't cancel the dinner with friends because work just seems more important. Don't stay home from worship just because your blanket is a little bit too cozy. (laughs) Be with one another. Have fun. Be vulnerable, shape one another, remind each other that you are all beloved children of God and children need to play. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity to spend time in fellowship with you, um, for this opportunity to fellowship some with one another. God, we pray that you would help us understand how important the little stuff is. That, yes, we need to be doing all of the other ships um, and studying your word and serving one another, but also just taking the time to be, to have some fun, to laugh. We pray that you would give us those opportunities. We pray that you would give us the courage to take advantage of those opportunities. God, we pray that while we're with one another, that we would push one another closer to you. That we would shape one another to be better images of your love, of your grace, of your peace, of your justice. So God, we just pray for those opportunities for that time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.